الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له اشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله ذلك البريز بيلونجز تو الله وي بريز هيم سيك هيز اسيستنس اند فورغيفنس اند وي سيك ريفيوج ان الله from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whomever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray, and whomever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone, and that he has no partners, and I bear witness that Muhammad is his slave servant and his messenger. I would like to begin this evening with this the third in our lecture series in fiqh al hadith the fiqh of the hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam or understanding understanding of the guidance rules regulations and laws that may be derived from the sayings and the practices and approvals of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam uh by quickly reviewing the hadith which we took from last week in brief summarizing them just as a reminder and hopefully inshallah all of us should individually also review those hadith which we have taken previously in order to try to retain their meanings and the rulings and regulations that come from them so that we might benefit from them in the future and we are taking these hadith from the book of al-sheikh abdullah ibn abdurrahman ibn salih al-ali bassam uh, entitled taysir al-allam sharh umdatul ahkam and as we mentioned previously the hadith contained in this book are hadith which have been reported by both al-bukhari and muslim or in some cases by one of them hadith number 5 according to the numbering of the book which should be for us i think hadith number 4 because we didn't mention in our or we didn't uh, give you a copy or translation of the first hadith which we took which is the hadith concerning intentions in any case hadith number 5 is the hadith of abu huraira radiyallahu anhu that the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said la yabulanna ahadukum fil ma'id da'imi alladhi la yajri thumma yaghtasilu minhu or thumma yaghtasilu fihi according to the narration of bukhari that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam forbid he prohibited us he said no one of you should urinate in stagnant still or standing water which is not flowing and then take a bath from that water or in that water and according to the narration of imam muslim la yaghtasil ahadukum fil ma'i ad-da'imi wa huwa junub that no one of you also this is a prohibition no one of you should take a ghusl in standing or stagnant water while he is junub or in a state of janaba that is major ritual impurity which requires a bath uh from this hadith we said that it contains uh number 1 the prohibition of urinating in stagnant water 
and that such an act is haram, forbidden. Secondly, the prohibition of taking a bath in still water by immersing one's body in that water, especially the person who is in a state of major ritual impurity, even if he or she did not urinate in it. And what is legislated according to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ for such a person is that they should scoop the water out by their hands in handfuls in order to take a bath or ghusl. Third, we said the permissibility, this hadith indicates the permissibility of the above, that is of taking a bath or of urinating in flowing water, even though it is better to avoid it, even though it's better that it should not be done, but it's permissible if the water is flowing water. And finally, the prohibition of everything harmful or transgression upon others. These are some of the points that were contained in that hadith. And we also said that there was some difference of opinion amongst the scholars on two issues. The first of them was whether or not uh, the prohibition in this hadith means that it is something haram or something makru. And there were three opinions, those who said that it was makru, those who said that it was haram, and some who said that it's haram if the amount of water is a small amount, but if it's a large amount of water, then it's makru. And also the second issue was whether or not um, the water which has been urinated in, does that water retain its purity or its state of tahara? Does it remain pure or does it become unclean? And we said the first part is concerning whether or not that water has been changed by some unclean thing, something that is najis. If something unclean has changed the water, either changing its taste, color or smell, then there's ijma or consensus or agreement of the scholars that that water does not retain its purity if it has been changed, its color, taste or smell by something unclean, no matter if it's a small amount or a great amount. Then we said, if the water is not changed by something unclean, then there's a different ruling concerning that. If it has not been changed, the water has not been changed by something nedges entering into it, we said that if it was a large amount of water and it's unchanged, it, doesn't, it has not changed its color, taste, or smell, then there's also ijma or consensus of the scholars that it remains pure. But in the case where it's unchanged, but it's a small amount of water, then there was difference of opinion. One of the opinions was that it um, does not become unclean, and the other opinion is that it becomes unclean simply by the fact that something nudges into that water. No matter, even if it doesn't change its color, taste, or smell, because something nudges or unclean entered it, if it's a small amount of water, the second opinion was that it becomes unclean. So this is briefly what we mentioned of the first hadith. Uh, and the second hadith that we took last week is the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِذَا شَرِبَ الْكَلْبُ فِي أَحَدِكُمْ If a dog drinks from the container or utensil of any one of you, then he must wash it seven times. And in the narration of Muslim, uh, he said that the first of these washings should be with turab or uh, this, uh, soil from the surface of the earth. And also we mentioned with this hadith, the related narration, but it was reported by Abdullah ibn Mughaffal radiallahu anhu, 
that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِذَا وَلَغَ الْكَلْبُ فِي إِنَائِي If a dog, yeah, and he sticks his tongue in the container of any one of you, فَغْسِلُوهُ سَبَعًا أَوْ سَبَعَ مَرَّاتٍ Then he must wash it seven times. وَعَفِّرُوهُ الثَّمَانِيَةَ بِالْتُرَابِ And he should use soil from the surface of the earth as the eighth cleaning uh, in order to clean it and also we discussed in detail some of the comments of Imam An-Nawi about this and he said that the soil can be used in the first washing or in the last one or somewhere in between uh, <coughs> and actually this, the washings are seven but the use of soil in one of those washings is counted as the eighth washing and from this hadith we said that uh, we can understand some of the rulings that came from this hadith is the severity of the uncleanliness of the dog due to its filthiness. The dog is an unclean animal even if his uncleanliness doesn't appear to us. Number two, the licking of a dog in a utensil or sticking his tongue in it and also eating from it makes the utensil unclean as well as that which is contained in the utensil or what remains after he drank from it or stuck his tongue in it or ate from it. The utensil becomes unclean as well as that which is remaining uh, in that utensil. Number three, the obligation of washing whatever the dog has licked seven times. Number four, the obligation of using turab or soil from the surface of the earth once in one of those washings. And it is best that it should be in the first washing so that the remaining washings would be with water following the washing with turab. And five, whatever is used in the place of turab takes the same ruling as it since the intention is cleaning. This is the opinion or this is the madhab of Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal rahimahullah and it is one of the things of Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah. Yani that if you use something else in the place of Turab, it takes the same ruling. It, is, it can be a substitute for it. That is the uh, a madhab of Imam Ahmed and Imam Shafi'i rahimahumullah. Uh, but the other scholars differed with them. And the more, more famous uh, or well-known saying of Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah is that you must use Turab. You cannot use something as a substitute for it. And one of the scholars of the Shafi'i Madhab, Al-Imam Ibn Diqiq Al-Eid, Rahimahullah, supported this position that you cannot substitute something in the place of Turab, uh, saying that Turab has been mentioned in the text of the Hadith and that it is one of the two major sources of purification. Yeah, the first of them and the primary source of purification is water and the second of them, the secondary or substitute source of purification is soil from the surface of the earth. Number six, we said that this hadith also gives us an indication of the greatness of the pure sharia and that it is surely revelation from the one who is wise and all aware and that the one who delivered it, that is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the messenger of Allah, he does not speak from his own desires. When he informed the people of such things, it was by revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which has been proven by the scientists of today. These are the hadith that we took last week. This week, we want to take one hadith, hadith number seven from the book Taysir al-Alam, Sharh Umdatul Ahkam, and that hadith is dealing with the issue of al-wudu, al-wudu. And this issue is a very important issue. It is one of the most important acts of worship that a Muslim performs daily in his life. And it is a necessity that every single Muslim has to know how to make wudu. It's not like other things such as uh, Ramadan, fasting in Ramadan. Perhaps some people 
when they became Muslims, they were elderly and unable to fast, or they may have some kind of sickness which prevents them from fasting, or someone perhaps might not be able to give zakat because they are a poor person, so they might not need to know the rules of zakat, or other such things which are very important but not a necessity for everyone. As for al-wudu, or purification, al-tahara, it is a necessity that every Muslim knows how to perform it properly so that they can prepare themselves for the five daily prayers as well as other acts of worship which require the state of purification such as reading the Qur'an and so on. Before taking the hadith and the rulings or the principles that can be derived from this hadith, just quickly, I would like to mention what Al-Imam Al-Shawkani has mentioned uh, concerning wudu, which is a very, very brief summary. It's contained in uh, three or four lines, or three or four sentences, and in those few sentences he has explained to us the importance, or the important aspects concerning al-wudu. And he says, uh, al-bab al-rabiya, bab al-wudu, the fourth chapter, the chapter of ablution, al-wudu. It is divided into two parts. The first part, the first subdivision, Faraid al-wudu, and the second uh, subdivision, uh, al-mustahabat, or the uh, things that are mustahab in wudu. In the first part, he says that uh, it is obligatory on every mukallif, or every person who reached the age of maturity or responsibility who is sane, Every person who reached the age of responsibility and yusammiya ila dhakara that he must mention the name of Allah when he begins wudu if he remembered to do so. He should not leave it off intentionally. As long as he remembered, then he must do it. And he should clean his mouth with water. And also clean out his nose with water, taking water in his nose and blowing it out. Then he should wash the whole of his face. That means from one ear to the other, from the root, from the beginning of his forehead until the underneath his chin. Then he must also wash his two hands along with his elbows, including the elbow. Although in the hadith it said, up to the elbows, and the scholars differ about it, does it mean up to the point of the elbow, or does it mean including the elbow? And here Al-Imam Al-Shawkani used the word ma to indicate that the correct meaning is including the elbows. That you should wash up to the elbows, meaning including the elbows. Then he should wipe his head, including his ears, sticking his forefinger inside of his ear and his thumb on the outside of his ear. And it is also permissible and acceptable that he wipes part of the head. If he doesn't wipe the whole of the head, and it is also permissible to wipe over the turban. Then he should wash his two feet with the ankles, including the ankles. And it is also permissible in place of that to wipe over the hoofs or the socks that one has put on after washing the feet. وَلَا يَكُونُ وُضُوءًا شَرَعِيًّا إِلَّا بِالنِّيَّةِ لِإِسْتِبَاحَ الصَّلَاةِ And the wudu would not be legally accepted except that it is 
based upon the niyyah, intention, that a person has to make intention. It's not sufficient just to wash the parts of the body correctly and properly and thoroughly in their proper order without having the intention that this washing is for the purpose of allowing one to perform salat or any other act of worship. And on all of these points, there's evidences. Al-Imam al-Shawkani has discussed in detail, in hundreds of pages, these issues that we are discussing here in one paragraph in his book, Nail al-Awtah. But in this book, it is just a summary of the issues of fiqh uh, without mentioning the evidences concerning them. And we will deal with the evidences as we go through the book that we are studying now. The second part of this, he says, Fasl al-Thani Mustahabbat al-Wudu. Those things which are mustahab or يعني, are loved or commendable or recommended in wudu. He says, وَيُسْتَحَبُّ التَّفْلِيثُ فِي غَيْرِ الرأس. That it is mustahab that a person should do wash every part of the body three times, a tafleef, other than the head. The head should only be washed once. And there's difference of opinion about this point. The majority of scholars said that it should be once. And according to the madhab of Imam al-Shafi'i, rahimahullah, uh, it is better or it is sunnah to wash it three times. The second thing after washing every part three times, وَعِطَالَةُ الْغُرَّةِ وَتَحْجِيلِ وَتَحْجِيلِ That is, uh, extending the person's ghurrah and tahjil. The ghurrah and tahjil are two words that are used in reference to the Muslim when he makes wudu, which is a comparison to the whiteness on the face, on the forehead of the horse, and on his, uh, his forelegs and hind legs. This whiteness on the forehead is called uh, al-ghurrah, and on the forelegs and hind legs are called tahjil. So the Prophet has said that his followers, his ummah, would be called on the Day of Judgment by this name, yani indicating the whiteness or the glow of their foreheads from making wudu and the glow on their hands and feet from making wudu. And so he said that it is recommended that a person should complete it perfectly, as perfectly as possible, in washing their face and hands and feet. And the third thing he said, the taqdeem as-siwaq istihbaban. That is, that you should, before performing the wudu, you should precede it by using a siwak or al-miswak. And this is something that's mustahab, not obligatory. Uh, and finally he says, وَغَصْلُ الْيَدَيْنِ إِلَىٰ رُزْغَيْنِ ثَلَاثًا قَبْلَ الشُرُوعِ فِي غَسْلِ الْأَعْضَاءِ الْمُتَقَدِّمَةِ And that you should wash your two hands, yani the hand up to the wrist, uh, three times before beginning the washing of the other parts of wudu which were mentioned in the beginning of his description of wudu. And this is something also about which there is some difference of opinion. Uh, we talked about it briefly in, the, in one of the earlier hadith uh, concerning the hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ said that no one should stick his hand in his container that contains the water for his wudu if he awoke from sleep before washing those hands. He should wash them before sticking his hand in there to begin the wudu. And Imam Ahmed, it was his opinion that it's obligatory to do such, and others, their opinion was that it's mustahab. In any case, it seems as though the majority of the opinion of the scholars is that washing the hands three times before beginning wudu, or before beginning the washing of the face, which is the first thing mentioned in the ayah of the Qur'an, wash your face and your hands uh, and your head and your feet, then before washing the face, which includes rinsing the mouth and nose, which are part of the face, it is sunnah to wash the hands up to the wrist three times, uh, and especially in the case that the hands are unclean. And that's why uh, when you awake from the sleep, 
you should wash your hands without sticking it in the water container first as the Prophet ﷺ said no one knows where his hands have been while he was sleeping so this is the end of what Imam Shawkani says in his brief description of al-wudu it is a summary of wudu what is obligatory in the wudu and what is uh, mustahab or recommended or commendable or beloved so with that uh, we'll take those hadiths that came in this chapter concerning wudu and the first of them which we'll take today is hadith number 7 al-hadith al-sabi'a an humran mawla uthman ibn affan annahu ra'a uthman da'a biwadu'in that humran the Mawla of Uthman, the freed slave of Uthman ibn Affan, radiallahu anhu, said that I saw Uthman calling for the water of wudu. Be wudu'in. Wudu means the water which is used for wudu, and wudu means the actual performance of the act of ablution. فَأَفْرَغَ عَلَى يَدَيْهِ مِنْ إِنَائِهِ Then he poured water over his hands from the container. Yeah, and he took the container, he didn't stick his hands in there, but he took the container and poured water from the container over his hands, washing them فَغَسَلَهُمَا ثَلَاثَ مَرَّاتٍ Then he washed his hands three times. ثُمَّ أَدْخَلَ يَمِينَهُ فِي الْوَضُوءِ Then he put his right hand in the water of wudu that he was going to use for wudu after washing his hands. He, he stuck his right hand in the water. ثُمَّ تَمَدْمَضَ وَاسْتَنْشَقَ وَاسْتَنْفَرَ Then he cleaned his mouth and also his nose by taking water in his nose, sniffing it in and blowing it out. ثُمَّ غَسَلَ وَجْهَهُ ثَلَاثًا Then he washed his face three times. وَيَدَيْهِ إِلَى الْمِرْفَقِينِ ثَلَاثًا And his hands up to and including his elbows three times from the tip of the fingers until the end of the elbow is what is legislated here from the sunnah. Not from the wrist to the elbow but from the tip of the fingers to the elbow. This is the meaning of hand, yad, here in this particular place in the Arabic language. Hand has more than one meaning. It can mean from the fingertips to the wrist. It can also mean to the elbow or further. And here the meaning of it as demonstrated by the Prophet ﷺ is that it should be washed from the tip of the fingers up unto and including the elbows. Then he wiped his head. And that wiping as described in other hadith is from is with two hands together washing from the front to the back and then returning to the front again that's considered as one time uh, then he washed both of his feet three times then Uthman radiallahu anhu said رَأَيْتُ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ فَوَضَّعَ نَحْوَ وُضُوءِ هَذَا I saw the Messenger of Allah or the Prophet وسلم, performing wudu as I have performed wudu, as this wudu of mine. وقال, that is, the Prophet وسلم, said, after performing wudu, Uthman is reporting what he heard the Prophet وسلم, saying. He said, من نحو هذا ثم صلى ركعتين لا يحدث فيهما نفسه غفرة أو غفر الله له ما تقدم من ذنبه and other narration غفرة له ما تقدم من ذنبه whoever makes wudu just as I have made wudu ونحو wudu هذا just as this wudu of mine ثم صلى ركعتين and then he performed two rakah of prayer after making that wudu as the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم made it 
and he is not speaking to himself during the time of performing these two rakah of prayer. That is, his mind shouldn't be wandering, thinking about or reviewing things in his mind other than concentrating on the salat itself. In that case, whoever performed that wudu and performed such two rakah of prayer, then Allah would forgive him his sins that preceded. Allah would forgive him the sins that he, that he committed before this wudu and this uh, two rakah. Uh, the Shaykh he mentioned here the difference between the word wadu and wudu as we already mentioned that wadu with fatha it means the water which is used for ablution and wudu means the act of performing ablution I hope it's lower now. Also, he also mentioned uh, about this that the meaning of the statement لا يحدث فيهما نفسه that he doesn't speak to himself. Hadith and nafs it means الوسواس that is that the person يعني whispering coming to his mind or to himself while he's performing the salat and here it means thinking about or reflecting upon the worldly things while a person is performing um, also he mentioned that it means here means that is including the elbows when you wash the hands uh, and also he said that in this hadith the word nahwa means similar to but actually the meaning here the correct meaning of Nahwa is Mithla, here. It doesn't mean similar to, but it means just like, the same as. Yani it's not acceptable to perform a similar wudu to the Prophet ﷺ, but we must perform wudu exactly as he has performed it, in order to get the reward that is promised here. Then he explains, in general, the meaning of this hadith. He says this hadith is a very, very great hadith, which contains a complete description of the wudu of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and I think uh, in the narration of Imam Muslim uh, as you have it in front of you the translation which I don't have uh, the narration of Imam Muslim in front of me but in any case there is a statement it's okay of uh, Al-Imam Al-Zuhri he is one of the great scholars of the Tabi'een and he said after narrating this hadith he said the meaning of which is that our scholars considered this to be the most perfect or complete description of wudu. And also the Shaykh uh, here, Shaykh Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman, Ali Bassam, he also mentions here that um, this great hadith contains as-sifa al-kamila li wudu'i and nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that it contains the most perfect or complete description of the wudu of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Vali Uthman radiallahu anhu, may Allah be pleased with him, it was from the goodness of his manner of teaching and, understand, and giving understanding to the people that he taught them the description of the wudu of the Prophet ﷺ bi tariq amaliyya. 
Yani, he taught them the wudu by showing them how to do it. He showed them, he demonstrated to them how to perform the wudu, and that was the most complete and best way to teach the people the performance of wudu. Uh, he called for water, or a container containing water, and he uh, didn't stick his hand in that water, but he poured water from the container over his hands, washing his hands three times until they were clean, and then after that, he put his right hand in the container, taking water from that container with his right hand, putting it in his mouth, and putting it in his nose, making, uh, the, uh, cleaning his mouth and nose. Then he washed his face three times, then he washed his hands, including his elbows, three times, then he wiped over the whole of his head one time. Then he washed his feet up unto and including his ankles three times. Then when he finished, radiallahu anhu, may Allah be pleased with him, from this demonstration of the performance of the wudu of the Prophet sallallahu he informed them that he had seen the Prophet sallallahu performing this very wudu. The wudu that he showed them, he said, I have seen the Prophet of Allah sallallahu performing this very same wudu. Then when he, that is the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, finished performing that complete and perfect wudu, he informed the people, that is the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, informed the people, and Uthman radiallahu anhu is narrating what he heard the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam saying after performing wudu. He said that whoever performs a wudu like, just like in the same way as this wudu of mine, and then prays or performs two rakah of prayer, having the consciousness and full devotion and attention of his heart and inner being, his soul, being aware that he is standing before his Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that person, by the fadl or the bounty or favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, would be rewarded for this wudu, this perfect and complete wudu, and this sincere salat, he would be rewarded by having forgiveness, of his sins that he previously committed. The scholars differed on two issues concerning what has been discussed in this hadith. The first of them is related to al-istinshaq, yani the cleaning of the nose. Uh, it is said that the imams, Abu Hanifa, Malik and Ash-Shafi'i, Rahimahumullah, may Allah have mercy on all of them, and also including the great Imam uh, Sufyan al-Thawri, Rahimahullah, and others than them held the opinion that al-Istinshaq, or cleaning the nose, was mustahab in wudu and not wajib. And the most well-known saying of Al-Imam Ahmed rahimahullah is that cleaning the nose is wajib and wudu without it is not correct or acceptable. This is also the madhab of Abi Layla and Ishaq ibn Rahaway, the Shaykh of Al-Bukhari and others besides them. The first group, the three Imams, 
and Al Imam Sufyan they used as evidence for their opinion the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Ashara min Sunin Al Mursaleen that there are ten things which are from the Sunnis of the Mursaleen, the messengers of Allah. There are ten things, and from those things is Al Istinshaq. So they said if this is one of the Sunnin of the Mursaleen then a sunnah is not wajib. So it is not wajib to make istinshak or cleaning of the nose. Those who said, no, it is wajib, they used as evidence the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an, wujuhakum, then you must wash your faces. And they said, the nose is part of the face, so it is included in the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an, and they also used as evidences the many authentic hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam which describe his performance of wudu and also which mention his command or his commands to his companions radiallahu anhum ajma'in to perform istinshaq in wudu they used as their evidence the actual performance of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam of wudu and what he instructed his companions to do in wudu and that includes istinshaq the second group who said that it is wajib, they also answered the proof or the evidence of the first group who said that it's not wajib. And they said that the meaning of sunnah in this hadith, sunan al-mursaleen, they said the meaning of it is at-tariqah. At-tariqah. It means the way or the manner of the sunan. The sunan al-mursaleen means the tariqah or the way of the prophets or the messengers. Because this use of the word sunnah to mean other than wajib is a technical terminology that was established by the fuqaha al-mutakhirin, the later scholars of fiqh. We mean to say here, as we discussed previously and in our class of aqidah, that sunnah has many meanings. One of the meanings of sunnah is the tariqah, the way of the Prophet ﷺ, his manner of doing things. And another meaning of sunnah, as we mentioned in our classes on the... Uh, uh, Book of Imam Ahmed, Usul Sunnah, we said that Sunnah also means Al Aqidah. And another meaning of Sunnah is the sayings, actions, and approvals of the Prophet. And another meaning of Sunnah is the opposite of wajib. And this meaning of Sunnah is the meaning of the fuqaha, the scholars of fiqh. They said that Sunnah means the opposite of wajib. Wajib is that which is obligatory, and Sunnah means that which is not obligatory. So those who said that this hadith is not a proof for them, they said that that hadith, the meaning of sunnah there is not as the later scholars said. The technical terminology of the scholars of fiqh. Sunnah meaning other than wajib. But sunnah here means the way of the Prophet ﷺ. And it is obligatory to uh, perform this act of washing the nose. And also they said that if we were to examine other narrations of this hadith, we will find that in other narrations the Prophet ﷺ didn't use the word sunnah but he used the word ashara min al-fitra. Ten of those things which are from fitra, the natural things that all of the prophets did, not only our prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this shows that the intended meaning here is not sunnah, meaning other than wajib, but the intended meaning is al-fitra, the natural things that all prophets brought. It is from the nature of the human beings and the revelation or the guidance of the prophets from the first of them until the last. And Allah knows best. In any case, also we should be reminded that in these issues of iktilaf, uh, 
let us not become uh, too fixed or stern or harsh in opposing others who might differ with us, but we should discuss such issues amongst ourselves in order to try to enlighten one another and benefit from the knowledge of others and be open-minded to accept the proofs if people bring to us evidences which show that our opinion is not correct and hope that also if we brought them the correct evidences that they would be open-minded and accept it. But it's not something to argue about and to become uh, too yani, stern or rigid with it. The second issue about which there is difference of opinion amongst the scholars is the issue of whether or not uh, about washing or wiping the head. He says that it is ittifaq amongst the scholars or agreement amongst the scholars that it is obligatory to wipe the head. And there is also ittifaq or agreement among the scholars that wiping the whole of the head is mustahab. Yani to wipe the whole of the head is mustahab. There is no difference of opinion about that. Even those who said you don't have to wipe the whole head, but they said wiping the whole head is better. It is mustahab. They agreed on this, that it's obligatory to wipe the head in general, and the wiping of the whole of the head is mustahab, but they differed. Is it acceptable that a person wipe only part of the head, or is it a necessity that he wipes the whole of the head? This is the issue about which there's difference of opinion. Do you have to wipe the whole of the head, or is it acceptable uh, just to wash or to wipe, not to wash, but to wipe some part of it? The first uh, of those two groups, they said, and this was uh, Sufyan Athawri and Al-Imam Al-Awza'i, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, and Imam Al-Shafi'i, Rahimahumullah, may Allah have mercy on all of them. They said that it was permissible to wipe only part of the head. It wasn't obligatory to wipe the whole of the head. It's permissible and acceptable that a person wipe a part of the head but they differed amongst themselves even about what is the limit or what is the least amount that you can wipe. One hair or a few hairs or one fourth or one half of the head and so on. The second opinion is the opinion of Al-Imam Malik and Al-Imam Ahmed, Rahimahumullah, may Allah have mercy on them. And their opinion is that it is obligatory to wipe the whole of the head. Wujub, wajib. The first group who said that it's not obligatory, they use as proof the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَمْسَهُ بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ And wipe your heads. They understood that ba in this word, bi رُؤُوسِكُمْ رُؤُوس is the plural of ra's, head. بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ They said the reason why ba is used here, it means تَبَعِيد uh, That is, ba'd or part of the head, بعد, بعد الرأس, that you can wipe a part of the head. And also they use as a proof the hadith which was reported by Imam Muslim on the authority of Al-Mughira ibn Shu'abah anhu, and that expression came in the hadith that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallama tawadda'a famasaha binasiyatihi wa'ala al-imamati that is, that the Prophet ﷺ performed wudu and he wiped his forelock, the front of his head, the upper part of his hair from the front of his head, nasiyah, and he also wiped the remaining part over his turban, 
يعني without taking his turban off he only removed the turban a little to wipe this first part of the hair and then he continued the wiping over the rest of the turban so they use this as their proof that it's permissible to wipe only part of the head as the Prophet ﷺ himself did those who said know that it's obligatory to wipe the whole of the head they uh, use as proof many hadith of the Prophet ﷺ which describe the wudu of the Prophet ﷺ and that he used to wipe over the whole of his head from the front to the back and from those hadith is the hadith which we have mentioned today in this chapter uh, the hadith of Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu where he said uh, that he wiped over his head uh, and also that which has been narrated by Al-Jama'ah that is Al-Bukhari and Muslim Abu Dawood Al-Tirmidhi ibn Majah and Nasai the expression came in the hadith Masaha Ra'sahu Biyadayhi he wiped over his head with his hand فَأَقْبَلَ بِهِمَا وَأَدْبَرَ He went from the front to the back وَأَدْبَرَ then he turned again بَدَأَ بِمُقَدِّمِ رَأْسِهِ ثُمَّ ذَهَبَ بِهِمَا إِلَى قَفَاهُ that he began by wiping مُقَدَّم رَأْسِهِ the front of his head ثُمَّ ذَهَبَ بِهِمَا then he wiped with his two hands إِلَى قَفَاهُ to the nap of his neck the end of the hair and the back ثُمَّ رَدَّهُمَا then he returned them إِلَى الْمَكَانَ الَّذِي بَدَأَ مِنْهُ to that place where he started from in the beginning this is the wording of the hadith as it was narrated by Al-Jama'ah the six books of hadith that are well known to us so they used this as a proof and they answered the evidence of those who said uh, that it's only obligatory to wipe a part of the head they said that the ba'ah this letter ba in biru'usikum in the ayah of the Quran it does not come in the Arabic language to have the meaning of some part ba'du it does not have such meaning in the Arabic language but its meaning in that ayah is al-ilsaq that means ba here means to place the hands on the head touching the head yani that they should come in direct contact with the head uh, and this is the real meaning of Ba. And one of the great scholars of Lugha, Nafatuwi and Ibn Darid, they when asked about the meaning of Ba, does it have the meaning of uh, a part of something? They said they didn't know Ba to have such a meaning. They have no knowledge that there is such a meaning in Arabic language of Ba. And Ibn Burhan, another great, another great uh, scholar of Arabic language, he said, "Man zama an whoever claims that ba means a part of something, فقد جاء عن أهل العربية بما لا يعرفونه." Then he has reported something from the people of Arabic language that the people of Arabic language know nothing about. We don't know such a thing, has no such meaning. So they said that in fact the ba here, it does not mean a part of the head, but in fact it means that the hand should directly touch the head. And Al-Imam Ibn Qayyim, Rahimahullah, he said, uh, there is no authentic hadith. لم يصحوا في حديث واحد أنه اقتصر على نفس 
بعد رأسه البتة ابن قيم says that there is not even one authentic hadith not one authentic hadith in which it is reported that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallama only wiped over part of his head there is difference of opinion about these hadith some of the scholars declared them to be daif and some declared them to be hasan because of the many narrations or many reports that came with different chains of narratives in any case as we said already the difference of opinion in these matters is not something that we should be rigid about but we should try to attain the most correct opinion and follow that which we see as being correct but also be willing to listen to those who may discuss with us such issues and bring us other evidences perhaps that which we see today as being correct if we get more knowledge we might change our opinion tomorrow so be open and receptive to uh, knowledge from this hadith the shaykh he mentions a number of points the first of them is that it is legislated in Islam that a person should wash their hands three times before sticking their hands in the water that is going to be used for ablution at the time when they are making wudu before sticking the hands in that water the hands should be washed by pouring water over those hands second at-tayamun fit-tanawul ma'il wudu li-ghasli al-a'adha that is that uh, in taking the water for ablution from the container to wash the other parts of the uh, body which are washed in wudu we should use the right hand to take the water from the container you should use the right hand as Uthman radiallahu anhu when he demonstrated he washed both of his hands by pouring water over them then he stuck his right hand in the container to take water out to rinse his mouth and nose and wash his face and so on the third point is that it is legislated to perform uh, the washing of the mouth and the rinsing of the nose in this order yani to wash the mouth first and then to rinse the nose to take water in the nose and blow it out in this order this is what is legislated and proper to do and not the opposite order Uh, then he says there is no difference of opinion about this about these two things but the difference of opinion is about whether or not it is obligatory as we mentioned uh, when we talked about the differences of opinion some scholars said that it's not obligatory to wash the nose there is no difference of opinion about whether or not it is legislated it is part of wudu to wash the nose but some said it's not obligatory and the correct opinion and Allah knows best is that it is obligatory to wash and that the face should be washed three times and the limit or the boundaries of the face is from the root of the hair of the head to the chin length uh, from up, up to the upper and in this direction and from one ear to the other from uh, crosswise that the face is contained in these boundaries from the tip of the hair of the forehead to the chin and from one ear to the other ear and also it is also legislated to uh, rinse the mouth and to rinse the nose yani, three times 
as the nose and the mouth are part of what is called al-wajj or the face. And the wedge or the face in the, amongst the Arab people is considered that which you, when you face someone directly, that's called the face. Whatever they are seeing when they are facing you. Even in English language we say, he was facing me. Meaning, he was directing this part of his body towards that person. Everything that you see from when you are looking towards someone directly, this is considered to be the face. That includes the nose and the mouth. And of course, this is related to the point of whether or not it's obligatory to wash the nose, because obviously the washing of the face is obligatory from the text of the Quran, and if the nose is part of the face, then it's also obligatory to wash it. Fifthly, he says, washing the hands up to the elbows three times. And sixth, washing the whole of the head one time, starting with the two hands from the front, and then going to the back and returning again to the front, and there is difference of opinion as we mentioned on this point of the number of times that the head should be wiped, not washed, wiped, if I said washed I mean wiped, uh, because it's not legislated to wash the head but it's legislated to wipe the head in wudu, uh, and the opinion of the Shafi'i Madhab is that it is sunnah to wipe it three times, and there are some hadith which some of the scholars declare to be sahih, concerning wiping the head three times, but the overwhelming majority of the hadith and those hadith which are contained in a sahihain by, that have been reported by both al-Bukhari and Muslim is that the wiping is one time. And uh, some, some of our scholars also confirmed or supported the opinion that it's permissible to wipe it three times and Allah knows best. If we have time, we may discuss that point further, but uh, we will come back to it. Um, also, number seven, he says, uh, washing <coughs> the two feet, including the ankles, three times. Number eight, he says, it is obligatory to do these acts of washing or wiping in this order, as has been mentioned in the hadith. And this is understood from the fact. And this is a very technical point here. I don't know if I can explain it properly. But if we go back to the ayah of Qur'an concerning al-wudu in Surah Al-Ma'idah, we find that there are four things mentioned in that ayah. If any one of you stands for prayer, that is, he makes intention to perform prayer, before performing prayer he should make wudu, and Allah says in this ayah in the Qur'an, فَاغْفِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ That is, wash your faces and your hands. Both of these are washed. وَمْسَهُ بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ and wipe your heads. وَأَرْجُلَكُمْ إِلَى الْكَعْبَيْنِ And your feet up to the ankles. There are four things mentioned here. Three of them are washed and one of them is wiped. The fact that Allah didn't mention those three things which are washed together. فَاغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ Your faces. وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ Up to the elbows. وَأَرْجُلَكُمْ and your feet. The fact that he didn't mention them together, since all three of them require washing, and then after that, mention that which is wiped, but he put in between those things which are washed, something that is wiped. The only reason that we can understand that he didn't mention the three things that are washed together, but he separated them by something which is wiped and then returned to washing, is because the order here is understood and meant to be followed. 
Otherwise, if there's no need for these things to be done in order, then the proper way to say such a thing would be wash your faces, your hands and your feet and wipe your head. Not wash your faces and your hands, wipe your head and wash your feet. Why say it like that? Except that the order is meant here, that it should be followed. And this is what the Shaykh says here, yani, the way he explains it here is very clear in Arabic language. I hope, inshallah, that it's also clear as I explained it in English. Then he says, um, this is a proof of the obligation. This, uh, what we just mentioned, is a proof of the obligation of following the order. And in any case, there's some difference of opinion. Is it obligatory to follow the order? That's his opinion here, that, and that's the opinion of many of the scholars, that we should perform the wudu in the order, as is mentioned in the Qur'an. Uh, number nine, he says that this description of wudu is the description or the complete description of the wudu of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Number ten. Uh, number ten, he says we also understand from this hadith that it is legislated to perform salat after performing ablution. It is sunnah that when a person performs ablution, he should pray two rakah. Not obligatory, but it is something legislated. It is from the Sunnah of the Prophet And if we can do it, it is very rewardable, as we know from the Hadith, as he mentioned here. Uh, also, one of the reasons for the perfection and completeness of Salat is that the person's heart is present. Their consciousness, full consciousness in that prayer and awareness of the fact that they are standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fact when a person keeps this in his mind or in her mind, the consciousness in your heart and in your mind that you are standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is one of the reasons or the ways to help you to make your salat complete and perfect. If you are aware that you are standing before Allah, this helps you to be in the state of mind that your prayer will be complete and perfect. And also, uh, we found from this hadith the encouragement for a person to have ikhlas or sincerity in the prayer. And also in this hadith we found the warning uh, that the possibility of a person's prayer not being accepted if they, have their, if they allow their mind to wander and to reflect and to think about, to talk to oneself about worldly affairs while you are standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the shaykh says that if some thoughts of the worldly things come to your mind while you are in salat, and you push those things out of your mind, it is hoped that you would still receive the reward of the one who performed this complete wudu and performed two rakah without reflecting on worldly things. Yeah, I mean, almost no one is free from some thought coming to their mind, but at least if when those thoughts came to you immediately, you push them out of your mind and return to your salat, it is hoped that perhaps the reward will still be achieved, inshallah. Number 12, and next to last, he says, the virtue of performing the complete and perfect wudu. And it is that this complete and perfect wudu is one of the reasons, or one of the two reasons, that a person's sins would be forgiven, performing the complete and perfect wudu. And finally, he says, the reward of all of your previous sins being forgiven, which has been promised in this hadith, is uh, yeah, based on 
two things which cannot be separated. Both of them have to be achieved. One of them is wudu, as mentioned in this hadith of Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu. And the second of them is the two rakah of prayer after performing such a wudu. And this reward of one's sins being forgiven is not based on any one of these, but both of them together. Also, uh, finally, he says, and this we have mentioned in previous discussions more than once, but since it came, perhaps if someone was not present before, it would be beneficial that some of the scholars said that in this hadith and other such hadith which is mentioned, and Ramadan is in front of us, we know that there are so many hadith that said whoever stood in the night, then his previous sins would be forgiven. Men qama Ramadana, whoever stood up in the prayers in the night, then his previous sins would be forgiven. Or whoever fasted Ramadan, men sama Ramadan, then his previous sins would be forgiven. And so many such hadith as this, the scholars differed on this point whether the meaning of these hadith is that all sins would be forgiven or only minor sins. And the Shaykh he says here that the forgiveness that's mentioned in this hadith it means the minor sins. As for the major sins, in order for them to be forgiven, it is a necessity that a person should make a tawbah. They should repent. It's not sufficient that a person uh, perform such acts and expect that their major sins are forgiven. But they should repent from major sins before they died. And if not, then they would fall under the will of Allah, meaning that Allah would do with them as He wills. He may punish them if He wills, and that would be out of His justice. And he may forgive them if he wills, and that would be from his mercy. Except in the case of the person who makes sincere repentance, then Allah accepts sincere repentance on the Day of Judgment. They would not be called to account for the major sins which they committed in this life, but they made sincere repentance from those sins, including the conditions of, of repentance. And also, uh, those who said such, that it does not include the major sins they use as a proof, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِن تَجْتَنِبُوا كَبَائِرْ مَا تُنْحَوْنَ عَنْهُ تُكَفِّرُ عَنْكُمْ أَوْ تُكَفِّرَ عَنْكُمْ سَيِّئَاتِكُمْ That if you will avoid and stay away from the kabair, the major sins, those things, the major things which you have been prohibited from, then you will be forgiven سَيِّئَاتِكُمْ Meaning the minor sins. Those scholars who said this only includes minor sins use this ayah of Quran as a proof that Allah made as a condition for the forgiveness of your sins that you avoid the major sins. If you avoid the major sins, then your minor sins will be forgiven. And Allah knows best. In any case, uh, the safest position is to try to avoid the major sins. No one is free from sin, but at least the major sins. We should try to avoid them. This is really the condition of a believer who knows that he is human or she is human and imperfect, that you might fall into some act of disobedience. But we try as best we can. And we ask Allah to give us success in avoiding the major sins. And then in that case, we hope that if we are avoiding the major sins, Allah will forgive us our minor sins. And if we should fall into major sins, and that is also very likely that we might fall into some major sin, 
then we turn to Allah quickly without hesitation and without delay in repentance and ask Allah to uh, accept our repentance uh, leaving that thing immediately making intention and resolution not to return to it feeling remorse for what we have done and making every effort to avoid it and even after making repentance we should do some good deeds because good deeds remove uh, evil deeds this is the end of what we wanted to say and I think it's just about time uh, for Salat if there are any uh, questions or comments or corrections then we may take them now otherwise uh, I want to return to one point which I said we will go back to if there's any question from the sisters please send them over uh, quickly I just want to mention the point of wiping over the head three times because this is an issue that I read some years ago and forgot about and when it came to me recently I was very amazed that anyone will wipe their head three times in making wudu when I researched the issue I found that Imam Shawkani mentioned in Nadal Alta many narrations of hadith the majority of them proving that the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is to wipe the head one time but also he narrated some hadith which have authentic sahih isnad which mention the wiping of the head three times and on this issue I just want to quickly mention that Imam Shawkani said that it is mustahab or I'm sorry not Imam Shawkani but the one who did tahqiq or checking of this book um, he said that it is mustahab to wipe the head three times Imam Shawkani said that it is the wiping of the head one time is obligatory and he said that it is mustahab to wipe all parts of the body three times except the head but some of the scholars said as is the madhab of Imam Shafi the wiping of the head three times is also from the sunnah and uh, I think the ladies may have some questions uh, they said those who said that it is mustahab they said that it is mustahab based on some authentic hadith one of them is reported by Abu Dawood on the authority of Humran who said I saw Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu performing wudu and in that hadith he mentioned masaha ra'sahu thalathan and he wiped his head three times masaha ra'sahu thalathan he wiped his head three times then he said I saw the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa performing wudu in this manner uh, and he also said in that hadith man tawadda'a duna hadha kafahu that whoever uh, perform wudu wiping less than three times then it is also sufficient for him the other hadith which is narrated by Abu Dawood also by Shafiq ibn Salama uh, who said I saw Uthman ibn Affan anhu, washing his forearms three times yani each one of them three times and he wiped his head and he wiped his head three times then he said, I saw the Messenger of Allah وسلم, doing such. Al Hafiz ibn Hajar Askalani, in his explanation of Al Bukhari, he says, it has been reported from Abu Dawood by two different Isnads, one of them is Sahih. And also Ibn Khuzayma and his Sahih reported that hadith and others besides them in the hadith of Uthman, Tafleef. Mas al-Ra'as yani wiping the head three times was ziyada min al-thiqa maqbool and here Al-Hafiz ibn Haji says that if a reliable narrator reports something additional 
beyond what others reported, if he is a reliable narrator, then it's acceptable from him. So that even though the majority of the reports mentioned once, if a reliable reporter of hadith mentions something other than that, and it's not contradictory to that, yeah, or something extra, then it's acceptable, maqbula. Also, Al-Hafiz mentioned in another of his books, Al-Talkhis, he says that Ibn Al-Jawzi, one of the great scholars of hadith, Rahimahullah, also inclined toward this position, in his book, Kashf Al-Mushkil, he said that he was inclined towards the position that repeating the writing of the head more than once, yani three times, is also correct. And it was also the opinion of Al-Amir Al-Sanani, one of the great scholars of Yemen, in his explanation of Bulug Al-Maram by Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj Al-Asqalani, uh, Al-Amir Al-Sanani gave an explanation of this book called Subh Al-Salam. In that book, he uh, also inclined towards this position that it was acceptable to write three times. And of the contemporary scholars, uh, Sheikh Nasruddin Al-Albani, in his book Tamam Al-Manna, uh, he also supported this position, and he said the reason why he ex- supported the position that it's permissible to do it three times, although the majority of hadith of the Prophet uh, lead us to believe uh, or to understand that the established sunnah of the Prophet is one time, but it's permissible to do it three, he said, because <coughs> the narrations which report one time, even though they are the most or the majority, the report of three is not in contradiction to it. It's possible, meaning that it's possible that although the Prophet may have the majority of the times done it three times, it's possible that he may have also on occasion done it one time, so there's no contradiction between them. And also because of the fact to say that they're doing it three times, uh, they are not saying that it's obligatory. It is obligatory to write the head one time, but they are saying, who said that it's permissible three times, they said that it's sunnah, it's permissible, it's an act that was done by the Prophet and so it is something that should be done occasionally on some occasion and it should be left also, left out, yani not done all the time. And Allah knows best, this is what we wanted to say about this issue. Again, yani the majority of the hadith of the Prophet mentioned that it was one time and there are some uh, hadith which mention uh, specifically the wording that the wiping of the head is one time. And the Prophet did it one time and many of the Sahaba understood that it should only be done one time and many of the tabi'een and the scholars after them. In any case, it's an issue about which there's difference of opinion. The important thing to know is that if someone does it three times, don't be amazed, don't get upset, and don't fight with them, because even scholars agree that it's permissible to do it three times, though the most established sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is to do it one time, and Allah knows best. Is there a question? Naam. Now, in general, intention, as we know, is something its places in the heart. And that intention is the consciousness or the awareness that when you are performing wudu, you are doing it as an act of worship, either for a future uh, act that you are going to do, or an immediate act. Yani, that means you might have intention to perform wudu, so you will be in a state of tahara. So that when the time for prayer came, even though it's not near, or if you want to read Qur'an later, even though it's not immediate, that you will be in a state of Tahara. 
Or you might have intention when you are performing that wudu, not just to remain in a state of tahara for future acts of worship, but for some immediate act. For example, the adhan is called, and you go to make wudu. Your intention is what? Without saying anything, your intention is to make wudu because it's time for salat. So it may be that it is some immediate act that you intend to perform with that wudu, or it may be just to be in a state of cleanliness for any future act of worship, or it may also be, as the Prophet ﷺ used to remain in wudu in all times. And he used to make wudu before going to sleep. And he used to make wudu first thing when he woke up. So that means also a person might have the intention in their mind to perform wudu anytime they violated their ablution, just so that they may remain in a state of tahara at all times. Is it clear? Okay, we have just a few minutes before the ikama. Uh, so, um, I don't know if I can answer the question of the ladies. It looks like a very long question. Naam. 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 The wiping of the neck is not from the sunnah. There is no authentic hadith about wiping the neck. It is incorrect when a person wipes their head to include the wiping of the neck or wipes the neck after wiping the head or any other time. Wiping the neck is not a part of wudu. Wiping the neck is a part of ghusl. If somebody makes ghusl, then they should wash every part of their body, including the neck. But in wudu, it's not legislated to wipe the neck in wudu. It's not correct. It's incorrect. It's innovation to wipe the neck. Not permissible. And Allah knows this. The ears should be washed after wiping the head because the ears, as mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet wasallam that the ears are part of the head. When a person wipes their head, the most correct sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is after wiping the head, you should immediately wipe the ears without taking fresh water. The same water that you use to wipe the head, what remains from it, you may wipe your ears with it. And the question from the sisters, I don't know, it's very long, assalamu alaikum. The different opinions which you include in these lectures, are they incorporated in Sheikh Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman Ali Bassam's book? If so, when we are tested, <laughs> inshaAllah, Will our answers be correct if we give any of these various opinions? Is it permissible to give only the best opinion to avoid confusion? Uh, if, if there is a test, then um, the, the questions would be um, usually in such a way that we would ask what is the strongest opinion uh, from what we have studied. Or if you have another opinion different than that, that you consider to be stronger, it's permissible to give that opinion with evidence. Otherwise, we will ask for the strongest opinion that we have mentioned in our lectures. And that's the way we generally, generally ask the question. Uh, and usually, also, it is important that we should be able to mention some evidence, even if we mention the meaning of it, without quoting the hadith uh, verbatim. As for whether or not it is possible to give only the best opinion to avoid confusion, yes, this is possible to give the best opinion to avoid confusion. We are mentioning other opinions so that we would be uh, more tolerant of others. Otherwise, we can just go through these uh, matters, mention the strongest opinion and its evidences without mentioning other opinions. But we want it to be known that there are other opinions, and there are legitimate opinions, and we should be tolerant of others who hold such opinions. And that's the reason why we are mentioning them, for tolerance. Otherwise, if we are discussing with our children or a new Muslim, it might be difficult maybe for them to understand so many different opinions, then it's permissible to give them the strongest opinion, but we should let them know, even if we don't mention the other opinions, that there are other opinions. 
But if we think it might confuse them, it's permissible just to give them the best opinion that Allah knows best. Since it is permissible to wash over the turban for men, is it also permissible to wash over head coverings for women? Um, I, I uh, cannot answer this question. Allah knows best. Um, in reference to wiping the head, I will ask this question, inshallah, uh, and check to be sure, because uh, it doesn't come to me now. The issue, uh, I mean, I haven't um, read any fatawa on it recently, and I don't want to rely on my memory, because what I've read about this is long time ago, many years. Uh, in reference to wiping the head, are the ears included? Yes. In wiping the head, the ears are included. If so, is it permissible to wipe the ears with the same water? Yes. It is permissible and it is legislated and it is the sunnah to wipe the ears with the same water that remains from the wiping of the head. The ears were not mentioned explicitly there, nor have you mentioned the ears in your explanation. Inshallah, we are not finished with wudu. There are some other hadith that we will take, at least one more hadith in the coming week, and uh, we will discuss it further at that time. Um, but I think we did mention the ears in our explanation. I said that we should wipe the ears by uh, putting the four fingers inside the ear and the thumbs outside of the ear. Is dressing in modestly not covering what is commanded for a man or woman a major sin? Uh, I don't know if it's a major sin, but dressing in modestly is definitely a sin. It's an act of disobedience. Allah has ordered the men and women to be modest. Uh, he has ordered, the, ordered us to cover ourselves and the Prophet in many hadith, which we discussed in other lectures, in our Friday lectures, um, the covering of the women, and um, that's also applicable to men. Of course, the boundaries of the limits for men and women are different. But modest, dressing modestly when being in public or in the company of strangers is obligatory. And uh, it is definitely a sin. Whether or not it's considered a major sin, I'm not sure. But I think it is, and Allah knows best. That's the end of the questions. And uh, if there's no questions, there's a question from the brothers quickly before they make a comment on us. Ah, uh, After making wudu and going to the masjid, should we make intention to make this two rakah for wudu or for entering the masjid? Allah knows best, but the majority of the scholars, I think, or I won't say the majority, but some of the scholars have stated that it's permissible for a person to make intention for more, more than one act of worship if they are not obligatory acts. And it's not a permissible to make intention to perform dhuha prayer and, and turaqa wudu because dhuha prayer is obligatory. But it's permissible to make intention to perform the turaqa of entering the masjid as well as intention of making turaqa for wudu at the same time. This is uh, yani, the opinion of some of the scholars and it seems to be yani, the correct opinion. As for the obligatory acts, then the, that act is obligatory you make intention to perform it alone. As for voluntary acts, it's possible that a person, for example, as some of the scholars said, the example that they gave is that a person may make intention to fast on the 13th, 14th, or 15th in the middle of the month, and that day might fall on a Monday or Thursday. So they make intention that they are fasting on Monday, which is from the Sunnah, and they are also fasting on the 13th of the middle of the month, which is also a Sunnah, and get reward for both of them, and Allah knows best. It's permissible, insha'Allah. Yeah. 
Now, also both of them are sunnah, so it's permissible to make two intentions. If a person came in the masjid and they performed two rakah, for example, for the fajr prayer, then they can have the intention that they are making tahiyatul masjid at the same time they are making the two rakah before fajr. Now, it's permissible to do such. And in fact, if a person made two rakah when they entered the masjid because it was two rakah before the obligatory prayer, before, for example, the Doha prayer or before the Maghrib prayer after the Adhan of Maghrib, or before the Isha prayer, then those two rakah also may serve as the two rakah before Maghrib, or the two rakah before Dhu'a may serve also as two rakah for entering the Masjid, and Allah knows best. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashadu an la ilaha ila anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayhi.